Hey, welcome to the C3 Church Victory Podcast. We pray this message will inspire you and activate your faith. Thanks for joining us. I am going to endeavor this morning to bring a message that has tangible, practical, applicable points. Some of you don't realize how much of a change up that is for me, but there you go. I want to welcome all of our visitors this morning. Uh, If you are with us online for the first time or you've been checking us out online, welcome. Uh, We love you. We love having you a part of the Victory family. And uh, hopefully one day, if we get the opportunity, we would love to see you in person as well. But I know we got one of our pastors who is chatting to you online. And uh, I just, I want to remind you that, that we do believe in the online space, but it is not a place of isolation. Okay, the church is a place of participation because it is not just a building, it is the the collective expression of the body of believers and that's you. So don't stay silent online, put some comments in the chat because that is how you are the church in that space, all right? And that goes for you too in the room, Uh, that's right, that's exactly right. Let's be participatory um, in being the church. Right? You don't stay silent in worship. Don't stay silent when we read the Word of God. All right? We had such a great men's night on Wednesday night. And uh, I was grateful. I was grateful. I'm not listening to Pastor Mel right now. She's going to get escorted from the building. Just grateful to have brothers to stand with me in a moment of, of pain and suffering. It was good. We held up each other in prayer and thanksgiving as uh, we watched the shield go north again. Um, just a quick, quick note. I do love our coffee cart. It is fantastic. And uh, I'm telling you, it is, it is one way that if you are feeling tired and unenergetic when you are coming into praise, a bit of caffeine can just can just help shift you a little bit. But we have actually, we've just blown out the generator. Um, so there is not going to actually be any coffee after the service. I'm terribly sorry. It's fixed. Hallelujah. Woo. God is doing miracles today. Amen. Amen. A little bit, little bit about me. Um, I like... I like to let you know about me, all right? It's good that you know your, your pastors. It's good that you feel like you know who we are. Uh, if you haven't worked it out yet, I am, I am someone who is probably uh, of the extremes, right? I, I have the capacity, yep, this thing. The capacity to fluctuate between extremes, right? I, I love to fully experience, like if we're having a, a, a praise song, I will be the most active praiser on the planet. Um, I will also be the most intense worshipper um, in, in, in the house. Number one, because I like to set a tone. I like to encourage you that, you know, you can be a little bit, um, what's the word that David used when he was describing why he was dancing in his underwear? undignified, right? Some of us are just a little bit too, we're worried about what people think if we really praise God, right? I I got through that a little while ago when I realized I was truly forgiven. And, um, but when it comes to when it comes to the start of every year, Rachel and I, we like to we like to try to start the year healthy. Anyone else? Anyone else do that? You like it's the start of the year? We have binged through Christmas, and uh, we stockpile our cupboard for our summer camping trip. And every night is like uh, a completely undisciplined snack fest, right? I will gorge when I'm camping. Um, 
but when we return, it's, it's, we go into like three weeks. I'd love to say it was prayer and fasting. It's not. It's literally just detoxing. Right? I'm detoxing from the amount of sugar and salt and flavoring that I consumed whilst camping. But we, we have to have a little talk about it in the lead up, right? Like how, how hardcore are we going to go this year is generally the conversation. And, and really that conversation is just Rach trying to talk me back off of the edge of the cliff um, of like, I'm just going to drink fruit juice for three weeks. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go so hardcore. And, um, and we've done this for a couple of years now. And what we've realized is that if Nate defines the boundaries of what we're going to do, it is unsustainable. <laughs> Number one, because Rach has to cook. Um, so if I'm like, we're not eating this, we're not eating this, we're not eating this, she's like, oh, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do. I don't know how to prepare because our kids still have to eat food, right? I don't think about that. I just think, how quickly can I transform myself from glutton to whatever it starts with G, gladiator, you know? Um, <laughs> right, but. But I know my personality. My personality is an extreme. I love the extremes, but it's not sustainable. And I have had to work on uh, consistency, right? Let me tell you something, gentlemen. Consistency is sexy. Come on. Come on. It lasts longer than a six-pack. But... A couple of times into, into our, our detox, we realized that we, we could go a little, a little bit more intense for three weeks, but if we wanted to do something sustainable, we would need to take one thing, one thing out of the, the plethora of boundaries that we put on our life, and, and that one thing was often the sustainable thing, right? So we, we gave up dairy in one detox, and so what I kept going out of that was I removed milk from my coffee. Right? And that's, that I have been able to keep going. You know, so now it's double espressos and long blacks that sustain me in life. Um, and Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Geraldine. Yep. Keep the preaching on Jesus. But what I realized is that if you go too extreme, it, doesn't, it actually doesn't create lasting change in your life. And sometimes we can approach our Christian life uh, as like, I, I'm going I'm to try to change something to a level of extremity because we get emotionally stirred up. We're like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm never going to swear again in my life. And then we get in the car and try to get out of the car park and the person's like tur- with their left indicator on and then they turn right and before you've even left church, you're like, I can't, this is unsustainable. <laughs> this is un- uh, this is, I'm not talking about me, by the way. <laughs> The passage that we are getting to today is an incredible insight into into the practical life of Jesus. And we're going to see some stuff. We're going to pull out some stuff this morning about that. And we're going to try and work out what does it look like to apply something to our life that creates sustainable change. So our scripture this morning is Mark 1, 35 to 39. It says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. 
And so he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And we heard a great message by Pastor Mel about the authority of Jesus. All right. And um, I'm telling you, if you are a believer and you feel like you have an area in your life that you just can't get free of, then you take the name of Jesus. Begin to declare that over your life. Um, you, don't, you don't need to stay stuck. It's for free. But oh, I should pray. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're here. Thank you that this is your word. Help me to preach it. Help us to receive it. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, get out your pens. This is where you're going to write. Time. Time. Like money is a finite resource, right? Until we pass from this life into eternity, time is a finite resource. You will learn something in life. Anything that is considered a finite resource is a great revealer of our values, I don't know if you know that, but I, if you show me your calendar, I will tell you what you value. If you show me your bank statement, I will tell you what you value. The way we use these finite resources is incredibly effective at communicating what we value in this life. I hear people say all the time, oh, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. Now, that may be a reality, but can I also tell you what that is? That's actually a value statement. What you're really saying is, I don't care enough. I once spoke to one of my mentors, and I said to him, I said, I don't have the time to do that. And he said, no, if you care enough, you'll find the time. I was like, ouch. He's like, yeah, but it's true. Punctuality is a values action. Oh, it's gone very quiet, very quick in here. Don't leave me hanging, guys. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the way you value other people and whether you turn up to appointments on time. Amen. Come on. Yes. Pastor Keith always used to say 15 minutes early is on time. Why? Because it demonstrates that you actually care about the time you're spending with that person. You care about the time that person has scheduled out of their life, out of their finite resource to spend with you. Let's talk about punctuality to church. It's a values action. I love watching everybody connect out there. But when our worship team starts the first song and there's four people in the building, that communicates something. I love you all so much, but I need to say these things as the pastor of this church. Because I want our worship team to hit the first chord and know that everyone that calls this church home is with them, praising God, celebrating our salvation. And all it takes is for us to care enough to check the time and be like, hey, let's, let's not be late. Let's be in there. Now, I, I, I have three kids to get out of the house in the morning. I have, I'm not going to say I have a wife also, that, but... I know, I know, there are, there, are, there are times, so let's not get religious about this, okay? But let's be honest, nine times out of ten, you can get here on time. Nine times out of ten, you can make that appointment on time. And if not, don't call me and tell me you're going to be late. But you can call that person and say, hey, I'm really sorry, I'm going to be five minutes late. That shows that you value that person. Time demonstrates value. The greatest enemy of prayer is hurry. 
The greatest enemy of intimacy is hurry. The greatest enemy of genuine relationship is hurry. What we see about Jesus is that he did not hurry. Jesus used his time on what he valued the most. In fact, before the sun even came up, he found the time to value his relationship with Jesus. If you care about something, you will find the time. You will find the finance. If you care about your marriage, you will find the finance to do a date night. You will find the finance to buy flowers for your wife. You will find the finance to bless her with a coffee or, 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 or something. You will, you will find it if you value it. You see, Jesus places significant value on connection with the Father. The language that's used here indicates that this prayer was not brief and perfunctory. I hope I said that word right. But it took hours. The language here is that Jesus prayed for hours. Let's be honest, most of us struggle to find 10 minutes. Me included some days. I have kids that wake up at 6.30 in the morning. Some of you it's earlier. I know, I know. That's tough to get up before that to find the time. But I challenge myself, how much do I value time with the Father? He was still praying by the time Simon came to get him. You know, relationships are only as good as the investment that you put in them. That goes for marriages, that goes for friendships. Time equals value. But you know, it's, 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 it, here's the thing, right? It's, it's not just the amount of time. So this is the amount of time because I can, I can go outside, I can close the door, I can be out there and I can be distracted. This, that's the truth right there. It's, it's a very, it happens a lot. So it's not just the amount of time, it's the quality of it that we, that we actually invest. Like money, like time, it is an investment into whatever it is that we give it to. And so if it's a relationship, the quality of the time that we invest is as significant as the amount of time that we invest. And so it's interesting when we pull apart the fact of what Jesus did in this passage, what we see is not just that he gave an amount of time, but he gave quality time. He gave quality time. How do we know that? We know that because he removed himself from not just a place of distraction, okay? Because it said, it said here, it said he got up early and he left the house and went to a solitary place. Silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. And when we talk about creating a, a quality time with God, we need, we need to be honest and say, well, we need to remove ourselves from the distractions outside of our life. Kids, whatever it is, phones. Oh, but I read my Bible on my phone. Don't need it to talk to Jesus. Put it away. Oh, but it plays music. You don't need music to talk to Jesus. But it's also silence inside. How hard is it to turn off those thoughts sometimes? But this is, we've, got to, we've actually got to cultivate quality time. We have to cultivate this, this pursuit of silence and solitude where we have genuine, real, valuable connection and time with the Father. You see, silence and solitude speaks of a quiet mind and space, distraction-free, where we stop the noise of life that we often, so often, so often we use to distract ourselves from where we're really at inside of ourselves. I don't know if you're like me, you use busyness, you use, use, you use doing, 
to stop, deal, to stop yourself from dealing. You've got all sorts of anxiety and stuff going on inside of you, but if you just do more, well, I don't have to deal with it. I'll just cover it with doing. Silence and solitude forces us to deal with what's really going on on the inside with Jesus. But too many of us fill up our lives with so much stuff to almost protect ourselves from having to deal with what's really going on inside of us. Solitude speaks of making sure that you are uninterruptible. Just you and God. No hiding, no busying yourselves. You see, you see, to do this, to do what Jesus did, to do this well, it actually requires us to stop. Stopping is the antithesis of hurry. Well, we live in a culture that drives hurry. Or what we're seeing lately, we're seeing over the last few years, this real push of this slow life movement, right? The issue with the slow life movement is that slowing down actually doesn't give you purpose. If you pursue slowness for the sake of slowness, there's no purpose in that except to go slower. What happens when we stop for the, for the purpose of pursuing God is that we actually discover purpose. If we, if we, let's look at the passage again, right? When we're, as Jesus comes out of his time with the Father, what is he able to clearly articulate? Purpose. He is able to clearly articulate purpose and he is able to clearly articulate priority. Too many of us go into our day and we're so flustered with our to-do list, we haven't spent enough time with the one who's going to tell us what to do and when to do it. The way of Jesus, sorry, the way Jesus spent his time showed value and priority. He gave it lots of time, costly time, quality time. Here's the thing, we can function as a Christian and have no relationship with God. That's called religion. We can put a religious label over our lives and it will be surface and it will do nothing to transform you from the inside out. But you put yourself in a genuine, authentic relationship which requires quality, costly and valuable time invested into it. And I am telling you, you will come out of that place different. You will come out of that place transformed by spending time with the Holy Spirit. You will come out of that place with a sense of purpose and priority on your life. And you'll be like, you know what? I'm not just here past time I am here on purpose for the kingdom of God and this is what I need to do and I need to talk to that person today I need to send that person a text message and before you know it you're going to start seeing God use you in unbelievable ways Jesus makes this time more important than friends he makes this time more important than popularity the to-do list that Jesus knew he needed to get done was secondary to the time that he was spending with the one who should determine it Who we are with him is the most critical component in what we do for him. It's interesting, I spoke spoke at our amazing youth ministry a few weeks back. And I'm telling you, Victory Youth, it it is going unbelievably well. I love what Em and Isaac are doing with our young people. But one of them asked me a question. And, you know, I love, I love how, how simple and uncomplicated young people are. They haven't lived long enough to have all the same doubts that we have and all the same questions and all the same, like, now we know enough to argue against the Word of God rather than just taking it at what it says. 
right? But they're like, well, how do, we, how do, we, how do you have a relationship with God? Like, could that, the most important question. If any of us was to ask a question this morning, we should ask it, how do we actually have a relationship with God? Like, if that, that, like, that, that, let's, that, that, is, that is the key thing. And it was, it was really helpful for me because it, it made me answer with language that someone who's 13, 14, or 15 can understand. Because you know what? We journey through Christianity long enough, we come up with all this Christianese, which protects us from having no idea. <laughs> we'll quote Christology and have no idea who Jesus is. We'll know all this theology. We'll sit and argue, argue theology without realizing that it points to Jesus. You know, I, I was like, the easiest way I can explain it to them is like, hey, how do you have a good friendship with a friend at school? Well, you spend time together. Well, what do you do when you spend time? We, you talk about life. You listen to the other person. And generally, you're into the same stuff. That's, that's as simple as it gets, guys. Spend time with Jesus. Talk to him about life. Listen to him. And then be into the same stuff that he's into. It's not complicated. This stuff in here, this is what he's into. We overcomplicate it. We try to systemize things and we try to, we try to create these, these like performers and, 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 and we try to create, well, it's got these processes out of what we read rather than realizing that what we're reading is pointing to a person. And what happens is we get so stuck in, in processes that we're, our God becomes the process rather than just talking to Jesus. Some of you are so rigid in what your quiet time looks like that the rigidity is worshipped over God. You can't put your phone away because if you don't have music, you can't connect with Jesus. I've got to ask, what's being worshipped? Let's not worship worship. Here's the thing. We cannot escape the fact that to do this requires a really difficult word. Discipline. As parents, we love that word. It's my favorite word. Not really. But we love it, right? Because we know that we are crafting and shaping and molding our young people. Why is there a consequence? Because we don't want you to grow up and do things that are going to harm your life in a significant way. So, so discipline has value when we're developing the child. But for some reason, we, we get to adulthood or we get to the age of 16, 17, right? And, 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 and we think, well, well I, don't, I don't have to have discipline anymore. Actually, though, the difference between the you now and the you that you want to be is discipline. There's really no escaping it. Do 
doing nothing is actually detrimental. Do you know that we decline and we go backwards when we do nothing? I know because it occurs to me while I'm camping. <laughs> if, I, if I don't apply a front-footed, discipline-shaped path to my eating, I will eat anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I will, I, I box of chicken crimpies, I will inhale that. <laughs> like Dyson has nothing on my capacity to consume a box of chicken crimpies. Or grain waves. But discipline, discipline is difficult. But do you know that like seven-eighths of the word disciple is in discipline? Like it's, it's, it's not rocket science to recognise that to engage in, in a lifestyle of discipleship, remembering this is, this is a whole journey we're on as a church to shift from being a crowd to being disciples. Right, right through the book of Mark, we're going to make reference to what Jesus does to those who are in the crowd and how Jesus acts with those who are disciples. And the thing is that we've talked about this daily, continually and intentionally. We have to make that decision. What does that decision look like? It looks like discipline. Engaging in the journey of discipleship looks like discipline because if you want to have a relationship with a God you can't see, you're going to have to put some discipline around the time that you spend with him. If you want to build an authentic and genuine relationship with your spouse, you're going to have to put some discipline around what you do with your time, with your finance. Can I go as far as to say, with your eyes, with what you search on the internet. We're going to put some discipline around what we pursue. Developing discipline is something that my extreme personality really struggles with because I want to bite off more than I can chew. So I want to to go from here to there in one go. And I know I can do it, I just can't sustain it. I know I can commit to drinking fruit juice for three weeks. I can go hard. I can't sustain it. And if we are to build a life that is progressively being transformed and changed, then we cannot expect that we are going to be able to sustain a step that is beyond our capacity to maintain the discipline. So I have some points for you, three points. Three points in how you develop discipline. Because big is often more noticeable, right? So we try to make this massive, unsustainable change. But it was only a few weeks ago that we said, as a part of vision, that that actually God uses small to to bring significance, right? So we do things like, I want to get fit. So we try to take on this like thousand push-up challenge or something. And we get like four days in and we can't even lift our hands in worship. We're in church and we're like, help me, Jesus. It's unsustainable, right? We want to we wanna know God. So we're like, I'm going to pray for four hours a day. Right? We get up at 4 a.m. one day, 
and the next day we're sick because we've like got ourselves run down because we're not sleeping. And it's not that these things aren't, aren't like poor goals in our life. You know, we want to know God better. That, that is one of the greatest goals we can have. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians, I want to know God. as so relational. as so authentic. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. But that doesn't, that doesn't happen because I try to make some extreme change overnight. It happens because I commit to a pursuit of God slowly changing and transforming me step by step. But those steps have to be formed and boundaried by sustainable acts of discipline. So here we go, three points about developing discipline. Number one, start small. Start small. I couldn't keep the whole no dairy going, but I can keep no milk in my coffee going. Start small. We build a disciplined life brick by brick, not house by house. Start small. You want to get fit? Start small. Start small. Go for a walk once a week. Do that for a month, then go two days a week. Rather than being like, I'm going to run 5K a day. It's not not unsustainable. You're not going to do that. And you're going to teach yourself that you fail at this and therefore you're going to create a negative mindset uh, towards pursuing it. And you're going to be like, well, I just can't do that. And you start to define yourselves by your failure, which is against the Word of God anyway, right? But, but it's because you built up this thing way bigger than what you were able to sustain. I think one of the greatest issues in our development as believers is that we define ourselves by our failures that we set ourselves up for anyway because we tried to be more than what God was calling us to be in that moment. Oh, well, I'm going to be a hero. Oh, I failed. Oh, well, I'm, I'm a terrible dad. Now, how about you just start by saying one encouraging thing to your child a day? One thing. One thing once a week. Start that small if you need to. Start small. Start sustainable. Make it feasible to commit to. As human beings, we are incapable of changing our lives significantly in a short period of time. We just, it's just our humanity. It's almost like you've got to trick yourself into the fact that you're changing. It's going to be so small that you're not, you kind of don't feel like you're changing, but it's enough that it's moving you a little bit. Enough that it's not disrupting your life so much that your life starts to revolt against the change, right? But enough that over time, this is going to, you're going to look back and go, oh, oh, I changed. That's sustainable. And three, so small, sustainable. I made them all out of S. This is going to be super easy for you. Small, sustainable, and start specific. If you want to develop discipline in something, you've got to be able to name it. You've got to be able to define it. You've got to be able to say, put it on paper and say, this is what I am going to do. I am going to do this thing this many times this way. It has to be specific. You cannot have these very, like, uh, uh, kind of, Ethereal, I'm going to get fit. What even is that? What even is that? You don't know. You have an idea, but until you put it down, I want to be able to run five kilometers in this time. That's specific. I want to eat healthy. 
I mean, you put that into Google, you're going to find 5,000 different ways that is apparently eating healthy, right? Paleo, it's like five, five and two or something. Intermittent fasting, like apparently they're all healthy until you decide what you want it to be. Uh, I want to, I want to, I want to have a better relationship with God. What does that look like? What do you, what do you really want? What do you really want to move forward in that space in your life? Write it down. I want to I hear God. Oh, well, you better start learning how to listen. I want to prophesy. Great. Scripture says, eagerly seek the gifts of the Spirit. I want to be more generous. Set yourself an actual, tangible, specific goal. I want to... And many of you have done this. I want to pledge this amount in division. I want to start tithing. I don't know if I can do 10%. Great. Start at three. Start at two. Start wherever you need to start to make it a sustainable step. And if you miss one day, don't miss two. All right. Let's land this plane. Here's the thing. Most of us suck at discipline. Let's be honest. We look around and we see those that aren't and we're like, oh, I'm not like them. And we're frustrated at ourselves. But do you know what is like, this is like, this is so good. This, this really helped me when I realized this. This really helped me because I used to get so frustrated at my lack of discipline, but this helped me. Because when I turned to Galatians and I read about the fruit of the spirit that is now in me, I found a whole lot of lovely things. Love and joy and peace. And I'm all, I love that. They're fantastic. But you want to know what was on the end of that? What the last fruit of the Spirit in me is? Fruit that comes in my life because I have the Spirit in me. Does anyone know from, from kids' church, the fruit of the Spirit? What is the last fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. Self-discipline. Do you know that because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the capacity right now leveraged off of that Spirit to implement and sustain discipline in your life, not in your human capacity, but because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you, the same Spirit that enables you to love your enemy, the same Spirit that enables you to have peace in the midst of a trial. The things that humanly you find impossible, like discipline, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of Him in your life is that you have it. You have self-discipline. So stop telling yourself you don't because now you're telling yourself that you don't either have the Holy Spirit or you don't get the fruit that He says you do get. So I don't know what it is for you, but you've got to stop telling yourself you don't have discipline. Maybe what you need is just to respond this morning and be like, actually, I just, I just need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because if Scripture says that when I get the Spirit fresh in my life, I get self-discipline, maybe I just need the Spirit. Maybe I just need Jesus this morning. Maybe I just need to reconnect with Him this morning. Get a fresh infilling. You know, we talk about baptism, but what we see is the disciples needed to be filled and filled again and filled again. I leak. I get to a point where I did love and then I don't love. I need the Spirit to a point where I'm like, okay, I've got some discipline. Now I don't. I need the Spirit. Thanks for making time to hear this message today. 
we encourage you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au.